0: Yeah, flipping that KPM through the MPC in the crates, he sticking like a JCP from the WAV to MP3. The crew's mates, a DLC, YGC. For sure, you welcome to a guest in the house
1: podcast. I'm one of your co hosts, Mickey Hess.
2: I am your other co-host, David Tromdigs. shanks Tromdigs in quotations.
1: Tromdigs in quotations. I got to get me one of those quotations.
2: Uh, well, you're the professor.
1: <laughs> the professor. That works. That works. Well, here we are today with a special guest, a longtime friend of the podcast. He designed our logo, and his name is Steve Sachs.
3: Hi. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, I'm slightly nervous i feel like i've you know i'm big big fan so like first time long time you know been i think i've heard every episode maybe except one of this podcast so uh, i'm i'm excited I, I appreciate you guys having me on and i'm looking forward to chatting oh, you man. knew about the podcast before there was a podcast i did yeah yeah
2: so he's one of Absolutely. he's one of four people who've heard almost every <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go <laughs> i was going to say yeah yeah <laughs> So Steve lives out in Seattle, and he used to live in New Jersey. That's where I met him, and we've been friends for a while. I know he and and Dave have met a couple Mm -hmm. times, at least around Philly and New Jersey. But I thought I would would let Steve's work speak for itself by way of introduction. So he's been doing these crazy hip-hop parodies out on the West Coast, and he's been doing them for a podcast called The Flagrant Ones. That's a podcast, right?
3: Yeah, it's a basketball podcast okay. <laughs> hosted by some comedians. I would say it's about 85% comedy and 15% basketball. <laughs> and <laughs> the sort of backstory quickly is that they don't really have like a theme song. So the, the hosts will sometimes, uh, you know, do like a, a parody song in the beginning that's sort of about basketball. And then people started submitting songs. And I was like, I could do one of these. And I submitted a couple um, they seemed to like them, and then they tried to like pit me in a in a battle against some other listener who had been submitting hip hop songs as well. <laughs> and instead of battling, we kind of collaborated. He made the beat, and you know, I I I, uh, I did the vocals. So yeah, I'll you could play it if you'd like.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So so Steve is like uh, a hip hop basketball weirdo Yankovic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he's done several of these basketball parodies. <laughs> Yeah, I think this one's still my favorite. This was an early one. I don't think yeah. it was the first one, was it?
3: No, because I yeah, I had done the two solo, and then I teamed up with this guy Eastman, okay. and uh, we kind of collaborated on this one. And I do think this is kind of the the high point.
1: But yeah, we'll put the the website address. We'll put up links for you guys can check out the rest of these and check out the Flagrant Ones podcast. But this is Steve Sacks NGS featuring Ian Garwood, produced by Eastman Presser. So
2: here we go. Thank you, Let's Steve Sax.
0: I said I really can't believe you think you can step to me. I make that neck go swishy when I play H O R S E. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always make that neck go swishy, sinking buckets, watch 'em drop. Make that neck go swishy, hitting every single shot. Make that neck go swishy. In a game of horse, I got a million weapons I go by Steve, but I shoot like Stefan Hit this jumper right in your face There you go, now you gotta age I'm on top, you got a letter, you beat me I ain't gonna let you, top of the key Closing my eyes, my jumper is wet So I let it fly, this is for O And I don't miss, nothing but net When it goes in, so you gotta switch That little dangly thing that's swinging right under the rim But you hit a bank, that don't count now you got o, go get your rebound Two letters down, three more to go I'll spell it out, right now you're a hoe For the arm, I'm gonna take shots, half-court bank shots Take another letter, boy, you can't make shots H-O-R, you're giving me a smirk But I don't make a joke, I respect sex work Time for S, you got no chance I like go granny shot, shoot it underhand Okay, it's your turn, it's an air ball H-O-R-S, is it fair now? Big E, that's the last letter Your tears are wet, but my shot's wetter You put it up in the rim claims you threw up a bricks, so I call game Yeah Yeah, 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 yeah. I always make that neck go swishy. Sinking buckets, watch them drop. Make that neck go swishy. Hitting every single shot. Make that neck go swishy. From the elbow to the block. Make that neck go swishy. Every time I shoot the rock. Make that neck go swishy. Y'all talking. Make that neck go swishy. I make it rain and never stop. Make that neck go swishy.
2: Feed me the rock. I'm open. All right, <laughs> that was NGS. Well, that I will. First of all, that's a pretty awesome white rapper voice. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: just,
2: let it be known, Steve. You've got a future in this.
3: Uh thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Well, we've got one about Brian Scalabrini coming up eventually. So I don't know if uh that piques your interest, David. It does.
2: But... It does. <laughs> I can't wait.
3: And
1: you got the LeBron trilogy, right? You we got got LeBron. Yeah,
3: those went, you know, it got uh you guys have talked about this kind of like um, you know, obviously the guests in the house and 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 where the line between um Maybe appropriation and and appreciation might be, and after doing like three of these hip hop songs, it got to the point where I was getting a little self conscious about like, is this like lightweight blackface? You know, where like I'm 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 rapping. Like, what's funny about this exactly? Um, so for the LeBron trilogy, they're all, like we kind of went with like some classic rock, not not hip hop uh, for those. Um, just to balance things out, Range. and yeah, and to, and to to kind of make sure we weren't, um, yeah, you know, getting into some problematic territory there. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Just, we just wanted to, yeah, make sure that that we, we weren't doing that for the wrong reasons. Um, I not much more to say about that, but but yeah. So we, we moved away from it for a little bit, but I think we'll go back to the hip hop stuff because that it does seem to be, uh, funnier for whatever it's, for whatever you reason.
2: Know, it's, it's it's pop culture, man. It's cool Pop culture, it's all good Yeah Yeah, and
1: I liked how you guys did the London calling from the Clash That became LeBron as balding Yeah, yeah
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these have been fun These have been fun
2: So uh, have you now been... What's the, commissioned by the podcast to like oh, knock no, no, these out no. or you just do them as you, <laughs> as you please? We're and, just
3: doing it for fun. Okay. You know, and if they decide to use them, they decide to use cool. them. And if not, you know, it's just fun. That's a, yeah, that's cool. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. It's
3: fun to just be part of that like extended universe of that, of that podcast and, and get our little three minutes on each, each week if they decide to use them. And, and if not, you know, whatever, like it, it's fun to make them. It's just fun to do. It's like a good project, especially in quarantine times yeah. where, I didn't you know. know you
2: were that much of a um, hoops fan until Mickey um, put me on to the, the the magazine. The magazine? The magazine. You don't have a, you don't write for hoops oh, magazine. Oh, no,
1: you're thinking about Pete Rector? Oh,
2: Pete. did I did Pete. I mix yeah, Pete yeah, yeah. up? Yeah,
3: he's yeah, he's another <laughs> Yeah, no, Pete does amazing stuff. I mean, he does all the graphic design stuff too. Ah, uh,
2: okay. Well, that makes yeah. sense. Why I got the visual it, stuff I got it too. Mixed yeah, up. he's
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um but yeah, no, I feel like uh yeah, I've always had a a kind of I've always been a sports fan. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's fun to combine those things. Yeah, we just go
1: shoot hoops at Dave and Busters. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. So let's that's the real basketball.
2: So let's get into why we really brought Steve on to the podcast.
1: Let's do it. Yeah, you want to introduce, we had a concept or a theme for this episode that that Dave and I hashed out a few days ago. You want to introduce it, Dave, or you want me to do it?
2: Well, it's piggybacking off, um, I believe, our last broadcast where we challenged ourselves to uh, go into each other's world, Mm -hmm. literally, literally, and um... (laughs) musically. So. I was supposed to read some stuff. I haven't got to that yet. Obviously, it's a lot faster to listen to a 20 minute album <laughs> yeah. than it is to read.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. We'll do a Carol Anderson books episode. Down exactly.
2: The but instead, we each chose an album for the other to listen to mm-hmm. that we know the other wouldn't listen to.
1: Because we did the twenty albums in twenty years challenge that somebody sent me on Facebook, yes, like a couple months back, and we noticed that across the board, my choices were pretty underground. Some of them to the point that Dave hadn't really even heard them or heard of them, and he's pretty well versed in hip hop, and his choices leaned more mainstream for the most part. And he started to notice that I have some blind spots when it comes to the mainstream and And as i mentioned in the last episode beanie Siegel is a shameful (laughs) blind spot for me yes because i did live in philly briefly i live right outside of philly now i have a lot of friends in philly who are involved in hip-hop and i'm sure they just can't believe that i don't (laughs) know beanie Siegel. yeah so
3: mickey kind of told me about this premise and and you, you you know you you at that point, you just kind of pitched it like, oh, we're doing this episode, kind of this mainstream versus underground kind of thing. And then you sent me, you're like, I'm going to send Dave this Tame One record. And I checked that out. I thought that was cool. And then a couple of days later, you sent me the Beanie One. And I checked that out, thought that was cool. And then, then you asked if I wanted to come on the podcast. So I was like, like you said about prepping, you know, I was like, oh, I got <laughs> to bring my A game if I'm going to come on. Um, so I kind of like went back. Um, and listen more intently and and maybe I can just as the person who hadn't heard either um, just kind of like brain dump here and give you the kind of the big picture thoughts that I was thinking about as I was listening to both you know in contrast with one another and then we can decide maybe where to go from there how does that sound
1: perfect so Dave had never heard tame one and junk waffle yes I had never heard Beanie Siegel's album the truth and Steve Mm -hmm. had never heard either one
3: yeah that's right. So, so, uh, you know, I, when I listened to the two, I kind of had them on in the background. I was doing work and, and I had them on, I was listening, but you know, not, not with that full, uh, intentional listening that, that you might do if you're going to talk about something. So when I went back, <laughs> Let me you know, stop I started...
2: you right yeah, yeah. there for a second before you yeah. go all the way in, I think to add context, we should probably just mention when these albums were released originally.
3: Okay. Mm. Okay.
2: So, um, Go for it. The truth came out in 2000, so that's Beanie Siegel's um, debut album. That was February 29th, 2000. You tell me when Team One's project came out, because you know I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Team One and Junk Waffle put out this EP in 2010. There you
2: go. Okay, so I twenty year old and ten year old album.
1: That's right. Cool. Your point about the.
3: you know, Beanie, that being his debut, and I went back. That was like kind of on my mind. Um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the band Vampire Weekend. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, it's probably the first and last time that they'll be <laughs> mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, uh, the the singer of that band, Ezra Koenig, I've listened to him speak a lot about about music, and um, he kind of has this thing about debut records and the first track on a debut record as like mm. as the potential like thesis. Right for like a a person's entire career, and so when I like went back and really listened intently, I, I was kind of thinking about that, um, and this idea of like the truth, you know, and mm. Beanie kind of comes out and and like the first track is this, you know, the truth. Every time I step in the booth, I speak the truth. You know what I'm bringing to you, and so I was kind of thinking about like, well, what's his thesis? Like, who is he saying that he is? You know, um, and I feel like. I feel like the thing he's doing in that track is like he, he's kind of saying like I'm a I'm a drug dealer first and and a rapper second. Pretty, and so I and here. so I'm going to I can tell I can I can tell it like it is in a way that like other rappers can't. Mm-hmm. And and so like that's his claim to the truth and like I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. You could like we could do a whole episode on that. Uh but and and I kind of like went through and listened to where he would kind of go like Uh, reiterate that idea in different ways throughout the whole album and then when I went over to the uh, to the to the tame one record you know the the first track tame style it's like immediately totally different uh in terms of style right like Mm -hmm. that's obvious and, and and maybe that the contrast between styles is something we could talk about but I uh I wasn't like looking at the track names I was just like listening you know and 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 when the second track came on, I heard something that really like jumped out at me. You remember Beanie's line and and the record's called The Truth. Like he says, like the truth every time I step in the booth. Tame One, the chorus of that second track is when it comes to the booth, Tame One is the truth. Truth. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the like the title of that track is The Truth. Truth. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And so I kind of started thinking about like, well, like what is the truth? Right, like what, like are they both referring to the same thing when they say they are the truth? Like, Mm. what is the truth? And like, how, how does the mainstream make a claim to the truth versus like the underground making a claim to the truth? And that kind of got me thinking about like rap as a commodity in the first place versus maybe rap as an art form, and like and like what makes rap a product at all or hip hop Mm. a product at all? And then like maybe like taking that at like even a broader, like bigger picture, like h- how does black art have to transform to become a commodity in like a white system? You know what I mean? Um, does the mainstreaming of, of hip hop already do something to it to reduce what might be the truth or dilute that or, um, you know, is that how how can how can the they both be making a claim that they are the truth or that they what they are doing is the truth? It's slightly different, I think, than like you know. I know in class years ago we talked about like authenticity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's related, I think, but but not quite the same because I think Beanie's authentic and so is Tame One, but sure, it's different than saying like what I do is the real thing. This is hip hop they're both kind of saying that and they're both doing something very different. And I guess I started thinking a lot about, I, mean, I don't have answers. I'm curious what you two think as the people who are, you know, you both proposed each of these records and maybe you think each of these represents the truth. And I would be curious why that might be.
1: Man, I like this approach.
2: This is Alexis. this is heavy. I didn't know we were going yeah. this heavy. I was prepared if I knew, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but um, hey, we're here. Let's. Um,
1: Sounds like you took a class on hip hoppers. I may have. <laughs> I may have.
2: <laughs> is that what? Is that what's going on? Am I? Have I? <laughs> have I walked into a um, Professor Mickey S class?
1: Oh, you've walked in several times. Well, in I, I told, now. I told Mickey, I was like, I'm going full college.
0: on this. Uh, for it. It. I hope I you love know,
2: it. Okay, let's go.
3: <laughs> but, but like I said, I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm coming in as a person who's heard neither of these who, who uh, has less experience in e- with either, you know, either, I don't know what you want to call these styles or whatever, but um, you know, each of you seems to gravitate toward one over the other. And, and maybe we can talk about why, why those things might be the essence of hip hop or not.
1: Yeah, styles and aesthetics, right?
2: Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And when you talked about authenticity and like which version is the truth, like mainstream rappers make such a big deal of how many records they've sold or, you know, how many stadiums they can sell out. Mm -hmm. And then underground rappers almost try to flip that dynamic on its head. Like, you know, like I think about like Count d has got this line, I want an IRA, not a woman's bracelet. Hmm. Yeah. You know, they try to take like mainstream success and like the money and visibility and attention it brings and say, well, you know, I may not have all that, but it's because I'm staying true to the art form, true to the streets, true to where hip hop began.
2: Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of that's hogwash.
0: Yeah, on both sides. (laughs) That's what what I wanted to hear. (laughs) What what would your response to that be? On both
2: sides. So, uh, I mean, but to get to Steve's question about the truth, Mm Because I didn't even think about that. I, I went right over my head. So that, that, mm. that's, that's awesome. But both of them operating from perceivably different spaces, but both claiming the truth. Yeah. You know, and I, I you know, both of those things can coexist in my world. So they both mm-hmm. can yeah. be the truth for completely different reasons. You know, no, no more yeah. than Paul Pierce, another basketball reference is the truth
3: was, <laughs> in the NBA.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, what's, what's the, tr- what's true? Like, what does that mean for him as a hooper? Like I'm the truth, mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, um, Beanie Siegel and I think that, I think the authenticity, somebody brought up authenticity. I think that's like the overarching thing because, you know, sometimes, you know, like we have a, we have a misnomer sometimes when we say like, uh, somebody's a real nigga. This is in the hood. Pardon the language. This is for the hood. But there's certain, there's a certain kind of, uh, There's like parameters, there's like a like a archetype of that type of person, the real nigga.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And sometimes in hip hop, and I'm you know, kind of making the parallel between the truth and like real. Sometimes in hip hop, we can exploit kind of like the real and turn it into like you have to be this type of person. When really being real is just being who you are
3: right and it does seem like that's kind of the contrast which is ironic in some ways right like they're they're both claiming the truth i feel like um beanie is saying he is this type of person like his whole kind of shtick if you will i mean maybe that's uh I'm thinking about it as a product, right? Like,
2: of course, of course, he's a
3: mainstream of course, rapper. Of course. Like, it's we a, know he's packaging. It's something.
2: a packaged. It's a packaged. Yeah, thing. yeah, no question. But about his
3: it. thing is like kind of like, oh, I'm this naturally gifted rapper. I didn't even, I didn't even intend to be a rapper. Like, I'm really a drug dealer, mm. but I do this thing, you know. And and I, so first of all, I was wondering like, what's the history of that move? You know, like, I, what that reminds me of Pusha T, but he's later. But, like, I I feel like there's, like, of course, like, a history of, like, oh, I've been involved in the game, like, the drug game, but now I'm a rapper. And it's very, oh, look at the parallels between the drug game and the rap game. Like, I feel like I've heard that, but I wonder when, like, the first person who was, like, oh, no, 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 I'm primarily a street player. And, like, this Mm. is just another hustle for me. Like... That goes all I the way back try. to probably e. say that
2: starts with school ED, so that school was at the e. beginning. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> he was saying, he would say, okay, yeah, See, this is why, as yeah. a, the the non historian here, it, is it goes back that far. He's saying like, yeah, that's my
1: thing. Okay, yeah, and that's the Philly archetype, right? So, of course, Beanie Seal is working in kind of that mold or mm, that
2: tradition. Mm, very true,
1: very true. Yeah. You know, even to, to throw a little wrench into just the straight up mainstream versus underground. So Beanie Sigel was 25 in 1999. He's putting out The Truth. It's his debut album. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get to 2010, Tame One is 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: Putting yeah. out this EP.
1: So this but this
2: a different release.
1: And he also started out as a mainstream rapper, more what? or less. He was in a group called Artifacts, yep. which were on Big Beat, which was a subsidiary mm-hmm. of Warner and Atlantic.
2: Correct. Tame so they had 100%. two albums
1: out. Yeah, Tame One and Elvis Sensei. to give
2: Elvis flowers. I just wanted to make sure. We oh,
1: absolutely. Yep. And, you know, they still perform here and there as the Artifacts. They still get back together and record a song here and there. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, by the time you get to this EP, you've got Tame One, 40 years old, started off with two major label albums. Mm-hmm. But after Artifacts split, he's been sort of a, an underground legend. Correct. So he's working with a lot of younger kids. Um a lot of white kids up in North Jersey. Um, junk yeah, waffle, the producer, right? Yeah, Junk Waffle, the producer. Yeah. Rest in peace.
2: Oh man, rest in peace. I uh, know. That's
1: right. Wow. So, thinking of, of where to take this because I know, I know Steve has a lot more to say. Well, I was going to. Oh, s- I don't know. I, if I was have to say. going to say.
2: Well, I was going to say, Mickey. Go for it. Um, what was your weigh-in on kind of the the. The, the truth question.
1: Yeah, as far as which version is is more accurate,
2: oh, more no, I wouldn't. I, I, no, I wouldn't put you in that corner because okay. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I,
3: it's about. Yeah, I don't think it's, about, it's about. Yeah, it's about a performance of the truth. It's like someone is saying, you know, each of them are making this claim that like the thing that I do is the real thing. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. I think that's a good way to ask it. I mean, it goes back to their ages and, and kind of their histories. Beanie sounds hungry on the truth
2: Mm
1: -hmm. you know he sounds like he's out to make a name for himself tame one sounds secure you know (laughs) he's he's not been a mainstream rapper for quite a while by the time this comes out but he's tame one he's an underground sensation he's a new jersey legend he's pretty okay with who he is
2: it's a complete different um yeah, and that, that that that's that's good that you made that distinction. That's why I wanted to make the release date distinction. But there's also yeah, another distinction sure. of where they mm-hmm. are in their careers. Yeah. Um. And and and, and tame One, ap- appears to be doing exactly what he wants to do at this point. As a forty, you know, something year old, like you said, underground legend, yeah. he's just making hip hop.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and he's making it with some kids like yeah, 20, who, 25 years who younger. Who probably adore him. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. <laughs> who, who, who idolize him and... Oh, yeah. They've honored. got a
1: line on uh, one of the Slain Corp releases, every drug we did, we did it because Tame did it.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, what does that mean? I mean, you, you just kind of
3: gave like a very strong uh, argument for, for like, you're, like, he's doing whatever he wants, is his way, like... That sounds like oh that's the truth right but like this beanie thing you suggested the beanie record not that you knew it would go in this direction but like what is it about that record that is that could be argued is the truth too you know
2: well you you said it um when you were going in it became it was a pivotal release because it was his debut album and it was a shift a little bit lyrically because that someone that hard of a rapper really cracking the mainstream mm-hmm. in 2000, 2000 was a little glossy. That's true. Yeah. You know, 2000 was, you know, bad, the dead, you know, it was all of that going on. <laughs> Mace and, you know, it was, it was, it was big big budget videos and big, it was very shiny. And then this guy comes in the truth. And like you said, even the marketing campaign of that, that being the first track on the album of the same name, you know, then you've got, you add in like Kanye, early Kanye. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know what I mean? So it was, that was, them trying to hit a home run for like street rap. Right. Like how big can we make street rap? So, you know, is there a song on there that, you know, they gave Beanie the beat and said, Beanie, you got to execute this because we know this will work. You know, and how does that contrast to, like I said, Tame just basically getting beats from kids who idolize him and make (laughs) whatever kind of hip hop he feels like making. At 40 years old. You know. It's a different type of pressure. Mm. And if we are to believe. The validity of Beanie Siegel's story. It was either that. Or. The streets.
3: Well I think that's one of the things I wonder about. Like. Do you buy. That he is like. A drug dealer first and a rapper second. Because when I listen to his record. There's so much craft in it. Like. Like. I don't want to say more than Tame One, but like I would say like you know I feel like um Beanie comes out of like a songwriting tradition and Tame One is coming out of like a jazz tradition. Like he's like yeah. he's doing whatever, he's kind of improvising and and doing this like discursive like roundabout moving around the beat and and he's not necessarily telling a story, but Beanie is like his songs are they are, they all are really condensed ideas that th- they're just, they're, they're packages. They truly are like a commodity, right? Like, and so like just doing that in itself undermine the idea that, you know, his, his whole thesis of that first track of like, Oh no, 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 I'm no. um, actually I'm i I'm a, I'm not really a rapper.
2: That's pretty sharp. That's a sharp, <laughs> that's a sharp. Yeah. Observation. The money
1: was kind of tied up in that's, both. That's though. a sharp observation.
2: I will say, as far as I know, living in Philly for, you know, the better part of twenty years,
0: mm-hmm.
2: of the guys who rap who are also plugged into the street, Beanie Siegel is one of them.
3: Mm.
2: <laughs> Beanie Siegel is one of them. That. That. Doesn't expel you from being a gifted writer, though. Totally. totally. <laughs> and so...
3: Yeah, you could do both, I for think, sure. You
2: know what I mean? I think there's... You know, we know, we know now that there's genius <laughs> littered all over the hood. There's geniuses mm-hmm. everywhere. And so it's just a matter of... Yeah, like, you can be kind of like Shakespeare and be Nas, too, right? Like, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know... But clearly he loves rap, I think, is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> well, and which he, is he, obvious. Like, he loves the craft. He loves yeah, the craft. Yeah, the songs are tight.
3: <laughs> like, they're not, yeah. you know, as as compared to Tame One, where, like, he's just following rhymes, kind of, you know? But oh, in a way, shit. maybe that's true, too. Like, it's really a pure creative uh, outlet. I think or, the or, jazz,
2: you, you know, know, the jazz connection is is very is very keen steve because he, he it is, is 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 improvisation it's it's my flow is going to move you know what i mean i'm going to say it's very like it flows it flows through what's going on where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. beanie is basically just attacking <laughs> and they're building like a wall or, or, or around his attack
1: You can't get two more different styles. Yeah. 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 Some of
3: those Tame One songs don't have choruses at all. No. There's not a
1: single on this EP.
3: Yeah. And they're not really freestyles exactly either, but it's like more from that tradition than like, again, like the songwriting thing. Like Beanie is like hitting ideas and concepts and then like bringing you back to that main thesis of the song, you know, every time, um, yeah. Like what I said, like, it's just, it, that's craft, like, Absolutely. which, and like, and then, and then what I wonder about, and, and I think you guys would have a, a better handle on this is like, what does that say about, you know, who, who is, who who is this being sold to? Right. If that's the way the product works and, and kind of like, what does that say about what the, what that audience needs or like, the subject matter they expect, or I don't know, those kind of ideas about like who is Beanie, like, is he being how truthful is he being if he knows he has to hit these ideas and kind of always come back to this character in a way? Um, I
1: don't know, I, even I if the character is like an extension or a version of himself, of himself yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, any at, at, at any man, it's like. And I was having this conversation with a couple of the uh, rapper homies the other day, actually, in this same frame, talking about um, gimmick.
3: Yeah, exactly. um, Right, right.
2: What's a gimmick? And so (laughs) we tend to look at mainstream rappers as the rappers with gimmicks. Mm -hmm. But then, like Mickey just mentioned, a lot of the underground's gimmick is mocking mainstream rappers, for sure. So mm-hmm. that becomes mm-hmm. a gimmick, as well. The the I'm authentic, and I suffer for it is also mm-hmm. a gimmick.
1: I don't want to sell records.
2: I don't even <laughs> think that's cool. I don't think bad yeah. bitches and cars <laughs> and jewelry right. is good. I rather just have a Honda Accord, and <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it is like we don't believe that either. Cause some of those, mm. um, some of our underground rappers are the bougiest motherfuckers ever. <laughs> for, meet.
1: Sure. for sure. Just because you haven't sold many records doesn't really mean that's your mentality, right?
3: Right. Listen, doesn't mean you don't and, wish you could. And beyond
2: yeah. that, if you're going, if you're getting tickets, if you're going over to Europe for a ticket, some of these guys, when they go to, you know, Georgia, the country, not the state, or, you know, Mm-hmm. They run Eastern Europe like they make that run. They're packing stadiums, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> they they could do ten thousand out there, and and couldn't put three hundred people in the United States. So some of these guys are not broke.
1: I think that was the king one <laughs> for a while. He he had a couple of releases guys that were are, just German releases. I don't think there was a U.S. version.
2: You don't do, you know. I mean, hey, look god bless some of our rappers you know they do have full-time jobs sure and it is what it is i'm one of them um and it is you know we love to make the music so we make the music but we're regular squares you know what i mean and then you've got another guy who's rapped for 25 years and didn't do anything else that's a career for sure yeah and, you know some of these guys are just Suburb, you know 100,000 100, heirs like I got a couple I got a nice house I live in the suburbs Um, and I do shows you know what I mean I think Master Ace is a wonderful example of someone like that
1: absolutely <laughs> yeah I mean you see the pictures of his Europe shows it's nuts I
2: mean but Master Ace correct me if I'm
3: wrong because I'm not as familiar with his stuff but like isn't he more in the beanie mold than in the
1: tame one mold he's both he, you think he's both mm-hmm Yeah, depending on what part of his career you're looking
2: at, he began his career as a beanie, and now operates in a team one space. Hmm. But he's one of the. I mean, you know, at and you know, we could go into a whole Master Ace appreciation um, podcast. But you know, this this is one of the better careers in the history of the game. If you know, for talking forty five years, Master Ace. He's had a pretty good career.
1: Yeah, he's a guy that you know. He has said he thought his career was over several times. Thought he didn't have another album in mm-hmm. him, and somehow that becomes like the best album again. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's able to pull himself out of that every time.
2: Yeah. No. So yeah, that <laughs> and you said Tame One had a major record deal. Yeah. So I guess what Steve brings up is very interesting because then we get into when did Tame one or master ACE no longer be viable as a commercial product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when does that shift happen? And what does a release like the truth from Beanie Siegel have to do with that shift? You know, and then when you look at the shift that happens right after that, because we mentioned Kanye produced that first single then That's what right. Kanye becomes and he shifts it back to where maybe if we had Kanye come right after Master Ace, Master Ace is still mainstream.
3: Mm. What do you see as that shift? I mean, when you say it shifts back to Kanye, could you uh, expand on that?
2: So if we take Beanie Siegel's truth, you know, using your um, kind of metaphor... Mm-hmm. And then what becomes Kanye's truth, which is kind of anti-Beanie Siegel. It's Mm -hmm. like, I'm the kid from the hood who never got into trouble. Right. I'm an art student. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm from Chicago. I'm from the South side, but I'm an art student. Yeah. But this is my truth. And then that kind of shifts The culture which brings in your Drake and your Kid Cudi and your, and just this whole, and I, you know, I I think Outkast gets some credit for that too. Andre 3000 Mm -hmm. gets credit for that too, because that's, I'm sure who Kanye was, you know, that's a person I'm sure he was watching and saying, I can be different. Mm -hmm. So I think, but before Kanye, we're talking, you know, 50 (laughs) yeah (laughs) and Beanie's Eagle and you know the whole Rockefeller and you know so it's a street element the Rough Riders it's a street element that's kind of mainstream hip-hop and then we have a kid with a pink polo and a Louis Vuitton backpack
1: (laughs) yeah I mean it's it's one thing to start out underground and then be accused of selling out later. But you got a lot of guys in rap who started out on mainstream labels. Mm -hmm. And there was that moment, early nineties in particular, when a lot of people were losing their deals. Correct. Um, with the major labels, there was a lot of heat on hip hop as we talked about before on the podcast. Um, You know, the FBI was cracking down on on artists like Paris. Um, And all of a sudden, a lot of people started to lose their deals and there was a real shift in who was putting out hip hop and what labels wanted hip hop to look like. And when people came back around, I think it got really interesting in terms of mainstream versus underground. And You know, thinking about other albums that came out in 99, Mm -hmm. back when um, The Truth by Beanie Siegel came out. You know, you've got Operation Doomsday by MF Doom. Correct. He was one of those guys at Zev Love X from KMD. They lost their record label. That would have been what, 94, 93 that they lost their record label? Lost a record deal? um that early,
2: but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so like, third base is what, ninety ninety one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So by 93,
1: 94, yeah. Wow. So you got somebody who totally reinvents himself, comes back with a new name, a new sound, a mask on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you see Prince Paul came out that same year with the Prince Among Thieves. Correct. Um, I'm sure
2: there's gotta be some raucous release really somewhere around that time, too.
1: Definitely. Like the underground was really starting to take off. You know, you had Loot Pack put out an album that year. Um that's Mad Libs group before he became just the master producer, Madlo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting moment when you got guys who had lost record deals, finding their way back in a but, few years down the road. But
2: another, another, this gets into another awesome thing because I think the money that was being generated by that time mm-hmm. in hip hop brought a lot of other types of, you know, players into the business like the in terms of record labels it was a lot more like you know um we can we can have a viable business model moving you know 50 to 100,000 units on like really interesting artists yeah you know
3: because you have the person at the top who's like the 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 jay-z or whatever who's selling a million is that the
2: there's 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 some of that I do believe there's some of that and what, you know what what the culture itself is generating creates like I'm a record me and Mickey are um a record label we don't have tons of money
0: mm-hmm.
2: but we really love hip hop so we, you know we find this kid who's just a phenomenal rapper and we say our business model if we can get this kid to sell 50,000 records, we'll make money. We don't need, we're not Warner. We don't need, we don't have a uh, million dollar, but you know, it's it becomes um, art festival movies, but hip hop, right. it's like, let's create tasteful, low budget masterpieces that become cult classics. And, and you know what I mean? So that's when that kind of, when we talk about MF doom, you know, and and some of these master ACE disposable arts, these are, this is the time when these albums are now being released where it's like, I don't have the budget anymore. You're not going to see me on MTV, but I know there's a niche for this,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. you know, and a lot of that was the overseas market.
1: Oh, definitely.
2: You know, and a lot of these, so a lot of these guys who were smart, who were, you know, aware, alert, able to adjust and shift, they were able to land and survive. Some guys got wiped off the face of the planet. You never heard from them again. And some guys just kind of kind of you know, navigated, went behind the scenes, whatever. And then you have your like Buster Rhymes and Fat Joe's and these guys who just kept making big records. Just they're just blessed with the ability to just land big records. So they always kind of they'll disappear for three years and then they'll come back with a big record. So they're still mainstream.
3: Do you think what do you think of the idea that like some of these people went from again like trying to make the songs in the Beanie Siegel mode to switching it up, like not just for production reasons, but for artistic reasons uh, to that more like Tame One style of, of rapping. Like, do, do, do you think that there's that, I, I guess I'm just interested in this idea of like packaging that maybe that's like the, the, the wild untamed thing and that somehow it has to be packaged up into this very tight mm. thing um
2: yeah because when there's a, like when there's a million dollars banking on it
3: it's right. gotta work yeah. but what does it mean that it has to be in that form i guess i like do, do do we think that that's significant at all like is that diluting the 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 purity of it or the the you know what, what would be the essence of hip-hop in some way or or do we not think that
2: at all um Yes, not in absolutes, but there there's definitely you you know, for me, I think my ears can hear when when there's when there's more of that going on than not. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I won't even say me. I I do think the we gen we get it wrong a lot, but we generally don't get it wrong a lot for a long time. You know, the the people who are being packaged and just, you know, refined but have no real substance, they usually disappear. Right. The ones who can hang around, there's usually some part of their story that's you know, more true than not. That's that's how I look at it. You know, even if it's just so, in their artistry, even if they're maybe, you know, maybe Rick Ross is not the greatest drug biggest drug dealer in Miami and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the ability to make music is authentic.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so what what's the story with Beanie then?
2: I think the the tragedy of the Beanie story is that Beanie could not stay out of the streets yeah and I say that with all due respect because I love Beanie Sigel. <laughs> but you know again you know what I mean like we were you know I was coming of age in that time period you know what I mean like I that was you know I was I was fresh out of temple and like you know I was in the streets. Not those streets, but I was outside, you know what I mean? Clubs yeah. and here and there. So you know, you're around and yeah, nah, yeah, beanie, you know, beanie's beanie beanie always locked up, man. Like
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
2: You're locked up a lot. So
1: he even got shot as a bystander. Yeah. Right? Just a few years ago,
2: right? Mhm. 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 So I think that I think that that um and then whatever the business, you know, um and I didn't mention this to you Mickey but if you have a chance yeah check out um Nori's drink Champs podcast oh yeah check out the episode with uh Mike Geronimo Really yeah that sounds good fascinating and it's in this it's, really? this is the same this same exact you'll understand exactly why I said it you too Steve check it out okay. because it's to me, it's what I said about, you know, the real king. There's something that happens in the industry with people who keep it too real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then... Which is a funny phrase. I right. right but yeah. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's just, there's no real room for that. And that that's kind of in the frame of what you're talking about in terms of the package. You know what yeah. I mean? And what... When it's when it's going through that assembly line, what's being chiseled off and (laughs) and brushed off, and you're you're creating this package, this thing that can be Mm -hmm. sold to a mass of people, and you know what I mean. But that's the same thing that happens in Hollywood. That's the same thing that happens. You know, absolutely. It's like you you hear about writers and directors, and they're like, "Well, I we brought it to the studio." as this and then it was released as that <laughs> you mm-hmm. know um so i think personalities and sometimes ethics and thing you know certain parameters get stretched and you know i mean some people are able to stretch more than others
1: mm-hmm
3: can I read this thing that uh, – I actually read this last night. I was reading this interview. It's kind of old, but it was with Donald Glover talking about Atlanta. Mm. Go for it. And I think this quote is kind of – I just, like, jotted this down in my little notepad. But um, He was talking about uh, 12 Years a Slave with the interviewer, mm-hmm. and he was kind of shitting on it a bit. And the interviewer said, like, didn't didn't black people actually make 12 Years a Slave? It's, and Yes, Glover said, but in the white system. He picked up a rock from the fire pit and dropped it below on his fingers. If Atlanta was made just for black people, it would be a very different show. But I can't even begin to tell you how because blackness is always seen through the lens of whiteness, the lens of what white people can profit from at that moment. That hasn't changed through slavery and Jim Crow and civil rights marches and housing laws and we'll shoot you. Whiteness is equally liquid, but you get to decide your narrative for the moment, he suggested white America likes seeing itself through a black lens. Right now, black is up, so white America is looking to us to know what's funny. Um, but yeah, that kind of made me think of like what you're talking about with what, who, who, like who who is that package for, and why do certain things get shaved off or left on, or, um, and how does that affect the package? Well, you know, I, well,
2: I'll mainstream hip hop is definitely catered towards the majority audience that's it's a numbers game mm-hmm. so that does then get into what you know behaviors what pathologies are marketed to the consumer like what what about blackness do they want the world to know Mm -hmm. what aspects of so-called blackness sell material
3: and how do you how do you create songs that cater to that idea that pre-existing idea and if that's a pre-existing idea is it the truth
2: is it the truth
3: I don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm asking.
1: <laughs> a lot of times there's this conflation of hip-hop realness with African-American realness. Right. And that can get very complicated very quickly, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think we even see it a little bit in this recent last-minute spate of uh, black rappers weighing in on politics in the presidential election. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, even like, you know, Lil Wayne just made an appearance with Trump in a, sort of a quick last-minute endorsement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he got a lot of flack for it, obviously, mm-hmm. from the hip-hop community, from fans. Um, and that's a really dangerous conflation, this idea that, that hip-hop can really put on display a version of African-American reality Mm. that the masses and the mm-hmm, white mm-hmm. masses take as the truth. Mm. You know, we're back to that term again. What is there you the go. truth, yeah. right? Exactly. And, who, yeah. and
2: who's the audience?
1: Yeah, there you go. And who's selling that? Yeah, and who's profiting from it, right? Correct.
2: Exactly. And who are yeah. they
1: selling it to?
2: Correct. So when we yeah. see Lil Wayne with that god-awful sweater on. <laughs> <laughs> and the turtleneck. And Don't the tur- forget the turtleneck. Uh, and he's cheesing with his thumbs up. <laughs> the assumption is that He's trying to persuade black people to get on board with Donald Trump. In contrast yeah. to the conversation we had about Lil Wayne a few episodes back, Mickey, when he said that racism doesn't exist because all his audiences are white. Or mixed.
1: Yeah, yeah people of all colors love this. Correct. Music, right?
2: So... Yeah. <laughs> Little Wayne's not a black star.
1: Exactly He's a pop by his own star. definition. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
2: So, you know what I mean, like, who's is the assumption that the audience, Donald Trump's audience would see that hey, look, Little Wayne's down with Donald Trump. So, that stuff about him not liking black people is a crock yeah. or is it to persuade some black people that he's a good guy? I don't really think he needs to do that. It's a last minute ditch effort, man. I, you know, last I, ditch effort. I think, you know what I mean? I would think I'm starting to think he's carting these people out for white folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
2: because of that, you yeah. know, what you guys just said about the, you know the perception. What is the perception of blackness that that particular audience needs to see?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So if we make the rappers the leaders, that's what they believe. Like they're that, that, that's their those are their leaders.
1: You know what that audience wants to see. Sadly enough, is black capitulation.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: And that's exactly what it is. You know, even even somebody as wild as Lil Wayne. Even somebody as hardcore as Little Wayne standing right there beside Trump, thumbs up.
2: But like, what, what, how? And let's say Little Wayne is sincere mm. and believes in his heart that if he goes and helps work on the Platinum Plan or something, that. He can make it. A... Is
3: that Ice Cube's thing?
2: No, 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 no. That is not Ice Cube's thing. thing. It's right? Trump's thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I know Ice
3: Cube had some plan that he put forward. Anyway, yes, sorry, I didn't mean to did, interrupt. Yes. It, let's say he believes sincerely in this plan. Correct.
2: He's still not, like, no one around him smart enough to see that he's being used. Like, no one could just say, hey, look, man, he, he's using you. Don't do it. It's not a good look. That's the I part, saw somebody that's the part I don't get. Cause I'm like, these guys, yeah. these guys have catapulted to like big, big, big time success. Right. They, they've got all kinds of people around them and handlers and people who make sure that they, no one said,
1: nah, it's a bad idea. <laughs> Nobody kept them from signing that cash money contract. Either. <laughs> all those years ago, I saw somebody put up a billboard Ouch. from the eighties where, uh, Muhammad Ali endorsed Reagan? I yeah, had no idea a, about yeah, this. that's
2: a thing now. I had no really? idea. Yeah. He's second term apparently.
1: Yeah. And see, I thought I knew like a decent amount about Muhammad Ali, but I guess they probably leave that out of a lot of the bios.
2: But we not we're not, <laughs> not going to retroactively Try and do that to Muhammad Ali either people. Stop it. No. Whatever he did, he did. Jim Brown was just in the White House the other day, too. He's still Jim
3: Brown. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh Mickey, I'm glad that you uh, that someone else brought up Trump and not me, because I, I didn't want to be the one to have to do it. But uh there was a a very small thing that I thought about Trump during this, during listening to Beanie, actually, which is like this move of like, I'm a drug dealer. I'm I'm actually a drug dealer, I'm not really a rapper. I'm actually a drug dealer, so everything I say is is more real than the rappers. Mm. is strikes me as the same move that Trump pulled of like I'm a I'm not really a politician I'm a businessman, and so I I, I the shit I the stuff I say is more real uh, than these than these politicians. You can trust me I I, well, I have the truth here. You know what I mean? Like That's this kind of parallel. It's
1: a very interesting
3: parallel, and a
2: very in and, and a very good way to tie a bow. On things Yeah you know, And maybe that's that where we That was pretty end. interesting And maybe we'll unpack yeah, so that We'll unpack that On another episode
1: I think so There's obviously So much more to say And you uh, want to hear more Come back next time So this was A guest in the house
2: It's still is. I'm Mickey Huss. And I am Trom Diggs A.K.A. David Shanks And I'm Steve but Steve <laughs> and
1: this was our guest Steve Sacks Alright see you guys Next time
0: make And never stop Make it let go,
2: us play horse my house. feed me the rock. I'm open. Pound, 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 chip, pound pound Let's play horse and my house. Let's play horse in my house.